Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Union Chapel. Great to see you. How many of you played the game of life, this board game? It's a good game, yeah, and uh, kind of accurate there for much of life. Someone, someone said if life, life is a game, then I don't understand it. Because life is more than a game, isn't it? And it's pretty serious. Someone said if life is a joke, I don't get the joke. Because it's uh, filled with all kinds of important and serious things. So today we're going to be talking about life and in the next six weeks. Today's message is entitled, What I Wish I Knew When I Was Young. Can I get a witness? Anybody? What I Wish I Knew. If I just knew that <laughs> ahead of time. So we'll go through some of those things today. I hope it will be meaningful to you. If you have your Bibles, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians. Today, 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. I'm going to begin reading at verse 21. This is the Apostle Paul. And he is addressing the church at Corinth. And he's, uh, he's really uh, somewhat uh, embarrassed about having to talk about himself. But he does so in order to make a very important point. And so as we read this text today, I hope it will be meaningful to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 21. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word so as you're able. Thank you for doing that. And so Paul writes, whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool. He said, in other words, I'm a little embarrassed about this. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at the sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Artus had the city of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in a wall and slipped through his hands. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I'll go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ. This is Paul talking about himself. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know. But God knows. Was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain. So no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect 
in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Say that with me one time. For when I am weak, then I am strong. May God inspire us today through his word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Some of you remember uh, the stand-up comedian Joan Rivers. Now, now Joan has passed. She passed a short time ago at the age of 81. She was a little rough once in a while. But uh, I thought some of these one-liners that she offered uh, may be similar to the points that we may be trying to make today. For example, she said, people say that money is not the key to happiness. But I always figured if you have enough money, you can have a key made. Yeah. You may know that Joan underwent a lot of plastic surgery to alter the appearance of her face. She said, I wish I had a twin so I could know what I'd look like without plastic surgery. Yeah. She said, I don't exercise. If God had wanted me to bend over, he would have put diamonds on the floor. She said, I was born in 1962, and the room next to me was 1963. Yeah, your neighbor will explain that to you afterwards. She said, I'm no cook. When I want lemon on chicken, I spray it with pledge. <laughs> not, not recommended. Looking 50 is great if you're 60. That's an important distinction. She said, you, you know you've reached middle age when you're cautioned to slow down by your doctor instead of by the police. Yeah, that's true. She said, the first time I see a jogger smiling, I'll consider it. She said, I hate housework. You make the beds, you do the dishes, and six months later, you have to start all over again. <laughs> a study says owning a dog makes you 10 years younger. My first thought was to rescue two more, but, th but then I realized I didn't want to go through menopause again. <laughs> These are actually kind of funny. There, there are many self-help books by PhDs, but I hold a different degree. It's an IBTIA. I-B-T-I-A. I've been through it all. This degree comes not on parchment, but gauze. And it entitles me to tell you that there is a way to get through any misfortune. It's good advice. She said, you know you're getting old when work is a lot less fun, and fun is a lot more work. The fashion magazines are suggesting that women wear clothes that are age-appropriate. She said, for me, that would be a shroud. One more and I'll be done. She said, I had a friend who's going through menopause come by for lunch today. Her hot flash was so bad, it steam cleaned my carpet. <laughs> yeah. Let me show you an Amish proverb. We'll put it on the screen for you. Too soon old, too late smart. Can I get a witness? Anyone in the room? Come on, anyone here? Too soon old, too late smart. Life, uh, life happens quickly, doesn't it? Life sneaks up on us and runs past us, and we barely keep up. And as it turns out, most of us are filled with thoughts as we reminisce and think back, are filled with moments and ideas, and it occurs to us that if I had known then what I know now, 
I would have taken a different course. How many of you have those kind of moments in your past? If I, if I had that to do over again, I guess we all can resonate with that. And so this is the premise of the message today. While I was uh, away taking a break, I had these vivid dreams one night. It was very unusual for me. And I got up and I just sat down at the computer and I began to type some of these things. And this is some of that which emerged out of that experience one morning. So the, this comes fresh fresh out of my slumber. So if it doesn't make any sense to you, it's because yeah, it came out of a dream state. But these are things that I wish I knew when I was younger. Now you want to write these down. Number one is inner healing is greater than outward success. Inner healing is greater than outward success. Now it's impossible to arrive at any adult age without wounds in the inner person. Deep wounds affect Every one of us, we all go through life and we encounter these moments that hurt us. The childhood hurt, that hidden outrage, the long-suppressed horrific memory. Those things can lurk like a monster in the basement waiting, sometimes years, sometimes decades later, to attack us and throw us off course. And so wounds continue to collect as life is lived. Now, we can agree with that. The temptation then is to create this alternative reality where our successes or our accomplishments or our appearances can fool us into seeming that they are more real than those former wounds are significant. And so we cover over the best we can. We, we pile as, as much success as much stuff, as much accomplishment, as, as, as much of, uh, of an outward appearance as we can to cover up some of those wounds. But the better way, I've discovered, is to find Christ's healing touch in those dark places under the floorboards of your life, if you will. So my challenge to us today is to remain connected to God's healing grace at the deepest levels of our inner life. Because sooner or later, those hurts and those wounds, they come due. And so inner healing is greater than outward success. Here's number two. Write this down. Depth of relationship with Jesus is more important than the breadth of our influence. Here's what I mean. The great temptation of youth is to allow your dreams of success and influence to overshadow your personal devotion to Christ. Now, how do I know that's possible? The reason I know that's possible is because I've seen me do it. You will realize, if you haven't already, that this list of things, things I wish I knew, are an expression of some of my weaknesses, some of my failures in my perspective, in my worldview, and the way I practice my life in the younger years. And I hope that you can learn from my mistakes rather than your own. And so being a good performer or being a good soldier, if you will, for Jesus' sake, was something that I find myself naturally inclined to be. But I'm not always and wasn't always a good, a good son of God. Do you hear the difference? A good soldier, a good performer, but not a good son, not a good daughter. Do you see that there's a, there's a connection then? between the level of intimacy that you maintain with Christ, the, the personal relationship that you have with Jesus, 
should be the priority of your life, and out of that relationship then flows the opportunity for influence. Dr. David Siemens was one of my mentors in life, and he said, if you take care of the depth of your ministry, then God will take care of the breadth of your ministry. And there it is said again. So indeed, if you lean into your relationship with Jesus, watch it now, then you will become the kind of person that Jesus can trust with real influence. To the degree that you give yourself in close relationship with Christ is the degree to which you can be trusted with the kind of influence that is in keeping with your potential. So depth of relationship with Jesus is more important than the breadth of influence. Anyone in this room ever know someone with enormous potential who, who failed and fell off the track and fell off the road and lost their witness and lost their influence to Christ, with Christ, for Christ, because they failed to maintain their personal relationship with God? And the consequences of the corrupting nature of that separation from Christ led them down a path that took from them their potential and their influence for Jesus. So hear it again. Depth of a relationship with Jesus is more important than the breadth of your influence. Here's number three. Write this down. Loving is better than being right. Loving is better than being right. So when your need to be right or need to be correct becomes greater than your need to be loving, that's when you leave the way of Christ, the, the spirit of Christ. Mercy, I've learned, and kindness are much more powerful influencers than being right. Mercy and kindness influences people much more significantly than being correct all the time. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. They shall inherit or receive mercy. So if I were young again, I would learn and practice mercy knowing that years later I would need it more and more. I've discovered that competitiveness and legalism are the death of mercy. But instead, mercy makes love real. Mercy makes acceptance and understanding a practice. Mercy is what makes tenderness a way of life. There's a lot of divisions in our world today, right? So many isms. So many people different than other people, and these differences uh, seem to be the focus. It, it's, cr it's a crazy world. It's a demonized world where differences are made the issue. It's crazy. I mean, what is that about? That, there, I mean, that's just the, the, the root of that is evil. And so, and so people are constantly at odds with other people who look different or act different or have a different creed or, or come from a different place. And, and so the question for the Christian community, for your life, my life, is, is a simple one. How do you respond as a Christian person to people who are different than you are in some way? And in some cases, very different than you. How do you respond to a person who's just way out there different? And the answer is actually fairly simple. The answer is you love them. Just love people. When in doubt, 
You don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. You don't know how to act. You don't know how to respond. Just love people. Just love people. Just love them. If the neighbor's different, love your neighbor. That's the mandate. Because that's better than being right. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, it becomes uh, more of a challenge when you ask the question more specifically, how do I love that person best? How can I best express the love of God to that person? Now there's complexity. Now there's nuance. And, and those have to be sorted. But in general, it's pretty easy to go through life dealing initially with people who are different. Just love them. Just love people because it's better. Now here's, here's number, number four. Serving is better than being served. I wish I knew that when I was younger. Serving is better than being served. We have a, we have a, a culture now that idolizes other people. American Idol. Everybody wants to be famous. Everybody wants to be popular. Everybody wants to be liked. And so, and so we have this culture that just generates that, and people try to position themselves so that they can get attention. And this happens in the Christian community as well, and that shouldn't surprise anyone. We've had opportunities over the years to invite guest speakers and guest musicians to come and, and do ministry at Union Chapel. Uh, some years ago, we invited a guy who had written a book. It was a very popular book. He was a very popular speaker, and he was from California. And so we said, come to Muncie and teach us a little bit about this subject. And, and we were arranging for him to be picked up at the airport. And his spokesperson, his assistant, said to us that uh, you have to send a limousine to pick him up from the airport. Well, we've got a guy who's a great guy, very trustworthy guy, has a really nice car. We've designated him to pick him up. No, that's not possible. You have to hire a professional limousine service to pick this person up and bring them from the airport. And uh, he doesn't want to talk to anybody. He wants to be very private, exclusively private. And he doesn't want to have to talk to anyone before, during, or after his presentations. And so he'll require that kind of privacy. And by the way, his honorarium is this. It's, it can be more, but it's not less than this number. If I told you the number, you would all suck air. And so after, after those negotiations, you just make a note, just a, a little mental note, check, he will never be back. Because he's too important. We've had musical groups <laughs> come through. Not all of them, but some of them. And there are contracts, multiple pages of contracts that you have to sign off. And it includes all the accommodations and all of the arrangements. And everything has to be set up all the way down to the, the, to the quantity and the amounts of food that have to be on the table in the green room prior to the performance. Uh, this list of vegetables and all these have to be in specific order. And, and a list of fruits that have to be all the way down to the oranges which have to be cut in equal force all that for a guy that wears spandex it's unbelievable <laughs> I wish I had known that caring not being cared for is what Christ had in mind that caring for others not being cared for and catered to is what Jesus 
had in mind. I wish I had therefore changed more diapers when I was younger instead of leaving that to my wife. I wish I had served more meals. I wish I'd carried more bags. I wish I'd held open more doors. I wish I'd lightened more burdens for people than I did. Because serving is better than being served. Here's number five. Brokenness is the doorway to wholeness. Brokenness is the doorway to wholeness. Now, before I get into this, I know what's going to happen on this point. Most of you, I don't know how many, 90%, just about all of you will push back on this one. You'll say, well, that's not true. That can't be true. That's a, that, I hope that's not true. I resist the whole idea that that could be possibly true. But hear me out if you can. This is, I'll admit, a mysterious paradox that brokenness can be the doorway to wholeness. And this truth, and it is true, by the way, was hidden from me when I was young. I feared brokenness, as most people do. No one wants to go through life and get damaged, get beat up, get broken, but it happens to us. And so I ran from it. And when it got too close, I fought it off with all my might. I just, I resisted it with all my power. If I had but known brokenness was the key to my healing, that brokenness was actually the key to my character, the greatest force for change, the greatest hope of becoming more like Christ, then it would have lifted the fear of brokenness, I think, right off of me. I thought it would maim me, at least, cripple me, at least, and maybe even kill me. And so I resisted it. Now I know that there is very little real wholeness that does not emerge from real brokenness. Now I could spend the rest of the day telling you stories just from my life, our lives, that illustrate this point. Let me give you the most recent example. Beth, as you know, perhaps you know, has just come through her second bout with cancer. 26 years ago, we went through the first time surgery, chemotherapy, radiation, uh, all kinds of therapy after that, so forth. And we've just popped through it again. Now, the first time we went through this experience, we didn't have an appreciation for what I'm sharing with you, that brokenness is the doorway to wholeness. And so there was lots of fear, lots of anxiety, lots of wondering what's going to become of us. And we were, we, were, we were disrupted profoundly by the experience. This time, going through it, had a whole different perspective to it because we have grown a little bit or we've matured a little bit. And so we know that even these kinds of things that can leave us horribly devastated in so many ways, that even in that, the God we serve is so grand, he is so great, he is so good, that his promise to take everything that happens to us and produce from, from everything that happens good things, redemptive things in our lives, 
that we were able to experience God's abiding peace and presence throughout the whole experience. And it was dramatically different. And it's because of our perspective about this very thing. We can tell you now um, that we're through that season. When Beth first uh, received chemotherapy this past winter, uh, uh, on day four after her first infusion, she developed a fever. And these are things that you're warned about. See, uh, people die of chemotherapy every day. You know probably someone, just like I do, someone who has died from the treatment. And chemotherapy drives your blood counts down, the white cell count down by the nature of the, of the med and leaves your immune system very weakened. And so you're susceptible to infection. And so you have to watch for fevers. And when fevers get to a certain level, it indicates that you have an infection somewhere in your body. It's called a neutropenic fever. And the source of that infection is very oftentimes not even known but it's very dangerous because your immune system has no way to fight this off. And so this is what happens to people. They get an infection and, and it spreads before you can get the kind of treatment you need to knock this infection down and you die. And so one night on, after day four, when she should be turning the corner and starting getting a little bit better, her temperature started going up and up and up. And so I had to wake her up at one o'clock in the morning and drag her to the emergency room and the doctor told me later, it's good you didn't wait any longer than you did. She spent four days in the hospital being infused with antibiotics. And it took three and a half days for her fever to break. And it was very, very serious. And it happened again in the second infusion. So twice, Beth was critically sick. And so we were living through that, that nasty experience in life. And after we pop through these experiences, we've reminisced from 26 years ago, and now we're beginning the process of reminiscing about this latest journey. And what we can say to you is that brokenness is the doorway to wholeness. The Apostle Paul said to us in our text today, if you were listening as we read, that it is in our weakness that we become strong that the power of God in your life becomes perfected, made whole through our weakness. It's counterintuitive. We want to resist the idea of it. It's hard for us to comprehend. We would prefer not to have to go there. But the truth is that in the midst of our weakness and our suffering, and the confusion of our lives, it is in that context, if we will turn our hope and our trust to God, that he will provide the power, the grace, and the hope that we need. Now, this is good news for a lot of people in the room today because, because you know in your most private moments, you believe you're one of the most broken people you've ever met. I am really busted up. I'm a mess. I've been through some stuff. I'm broken. Count yeah, that's me. I'm on the broken list. Good news for you, isn't it? Because the power of God is perfected in that. If you'll turn your trust to him. So be encouraged. Brokenness is the doorway to wholeness. Here's number six. Learning is greater than education. If, this is something I wish I knew. Seriously, wish I had known when I was young. That learning is greater than education. Now, 
I'm college trained. I have a postgraduate master's degree. And I'm not saying that higher education is not important. It is. What I am saying is that for me personally, I had to learn this lesson because I hated education. <laughs> From the first hour of the first day in first grade, I hated school until I went through high school, went through four years of college, went through three and a half years of grad school. I hated every minute of it. I can remember my first hour, the first day in first grade. I can, I can visualize the room. I can tell you where I was sitting in the room. I can describe my teacher to you. I can describe what was on the walls of that room. I can, I can tell you that, that moment. And I can tell you what was going through my mind. And what was going through my mind in the first hour of my first day was this. I got to get out of here. <laughs> I don't know who thought this was a good idea, but this is not a good idea. I have got to get out of here. So I spend the next 18 years just working, working, working to get out. That's my goal. What is your goal at school? To, to finish, to get out. I got things to do, people to see. Wow. So learning is greater than education. I didn't know it. And I was miserable because I didn't understand the connection between education and learning. Now, now you're understanding I'm not very smart. Because I didn't understand the connection, think about this, between education and learning. I, I never made the connection. That if you're being educated, you're actually learning something. <laughs> now, learning I like. I'm naturally curious. I do like to learn. That works for me. But formal education, I never made the connection. And so I always had a bad attitude. And I was miserable. If I were young again, I would still go to college and still go to grad school, but this time I would go to learn, not just to graduate. I would unleash my curiosity. I would embrace the process of education so that I could learn. I would worry less about my grades, although I will say I didn't worry about it much the first time through. And I would try to enjoy learning. Enjoy the process. Enjoy learning. Because learning is greater than education. I wish I knew that when I was young. Here's number seven. Giving is sweeter than gaining. Giving is sweeter than gaining. Now, I have always believed and practiced giving. I always have. I believe God's blessing flows to generous people. I believe that God's blessing flows to generous people. People, let me just rephrase that. There's some things I believe, there's some things I know, so I'll rephrase it. I know God's blessing flows to generous people. I know it. Beth and I have practiced it all of our years, and we are, we are blessed because this truth is real. God blesses generous people. Yet I wish I had known the sheer joy of giving at an earlier age. I, I wish I had realized the joy of generosity. Follow that thought. I'd have, I would have given more and delighted more in the good that giving does and in the glory that it brings to God and less in the returns it provides. Because as it turns out, giving really is sweeter than gaining. Here's number eight. Forgiveness doesn't fix everything. Forgiveness doesn't fix everything. 
Now, that's not the happiest truth I wish I'd known, but it's among the most sobering. I'll tell you why it's sobering to me. Had I known this as a younger person, I think I would have been less callous, less reckless, more mindful of the cost of relationships that went bad and failed. You've heard the old adage, the bull in a china shop. You know, there have been movies made with a bull running through a glass shop in a place, you know, that is exploding. And the damage is done. And the bull, you know, what's the bull care? And I would have done less bull in the china shop, shop kind of activities if I had known that forgiveness doesn't fix everything. You see, there are things, there are relationships, there, there are hearts that once broken cannot fully be fixed, if you will, by forgiveness. The wound, the uncaring and insensitive word, they may be forgiven, but the damage from those things may never quite be right again. Forgiveness is essential. It's important, very important. It's essential. So living a life of forgiveness, you all, you've all lived long enough to know that when you have unforgiveness in your life, it only hurts you. It doesn't hurt the person who's offended you. The person you're embittered toward doesn't hurt them at all. Unforgiveness damages you when you fail to offer forgiveness. And so forgiveness, that, that practice in life is very important because we're constantly receiving offense and forgiveness is required. And so forgiveness is an essential part of life. But forgiveness alone doesn't always resolve conflict and doesn't always fix broken relationships. So therefore, be careful. Be more careful. Be more mindful of the relationships you have because you know now that sometimes when those relationships get broken, nothing really will fix them, not even forgiveness. Folks are pretty quiet. Here's the last one, number nine. Prayer is more powerful than persuasion. Prayer is more powerful than persuasion. In all of life at every age, conflict is an inescapable reality. I mean, we've come to that conclusion today. And I wish I had known younger that in conflict and crisis, talking to God works better than talking to people. Talking to God works better than talking to people. Now, that's not to say that talking to people isn't important because it really is important. In fact, the more confusion and the more disagreement and the more, the, more, the more uncertainty there is in a relationship of any kind, any association, more communication is better than less. So the best way to get clarity in any kind of situation is to communicate and find better and more efficient, effective ways to communicate to each other. So communicating with other people is very important. It's, it's very important that you do that. I'm just suggesting to you that talking to God is, should be the priority in these situations. That prayer is more powerful than persuasion. Uh, we could get several people to witness, give witness to the power of prayer in the room today. But I have seen God turn hearts around. I've seen God change circumstances. I have seen God melt opposition. I've seen God do all of these kinds of things through prayer alone. So when no persuasive speech could have made a difference, so if I were young again, I would spend more time talking with God 
and less, that is far less, persuading others to do what I want. Because there really is power in prayer. Well, in all of these things, perhaps uh, you will be able to learn from my mistakes and my weaknesses. And if you do, that that would be a great thing. And so you won't have to learn it yourself. But all of us are going through life, aren't we? But here's the point that I want you to take home with you. That no matter the pain, the wound, the brokenness, that in the context of those levels of damage that all of us experience, the great hope that we have is that the power of God, the perfect power of God can be manifest in our lives in the midst of that weakness. When we are weak, then we are strong because we have turned our hope, we have turned our trust toward God. So may I encourage you to do that just as a way of life and you will find the strength, the grace, and the hope you need day by day. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for your goodness, for your word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul and his powerful testimony. If anyone uh, has authority to speak about such things, he certainly does. And Lord, in the weakness, he found your strength perfected. And yea, so each one of us will find your strength as well. So help us, we pray, to walk in your power and your strength. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Would you stand with us?